From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to season two, episode six of What's Wrong with Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman. I'm joined by my longtime friend and business partner, Eric Kalis. Today, we're going to be digging into campaigns. Last show, we talked about tactics. Today, we're talking about campaigns and what kind of campaign work is required for a revenue generation system. So uh, housekeeping, if you're interested in the show, check us out on our YouTube channel. We've actually been getting some nice comments from a few of our fans. Keep it up. Like us, subscribe, leave comments to our YouTube channel. I reply to those comments. So if you have something to say, let us know on the YouTube channel, square2marketing.com. I'm sorry, square2marketing YouTube channel. Uh, square2 also has a free streaming service called Square2 Plus. You can check that out at square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. All of the What's Wrong With Revenue shows are there, including all of our other audio and video content, just like Netflix. Go check it out. If you like the show, you can go to the show page, What's Wrong With Revenue. It's at a, uh, in the footer at the bottom of square2marketing.com. Click it. You'll get the latest shows, but you can subscribe to the show. We will email you the show every Thursday morning. We will also let you know about upcoming shows every Monday or Tuesday. You can also leave questions for Eric and me, which we will answer. And you can also get the show. Um, uh, no, that's it from that page. If you like audio and video content, uh, where all the shows are converted into podcasts, you can get them on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, every place uh, podcasts are sold today. Eric, uh, we dug into tactics last show, and today we're going to talk about campaigns. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a nuance, I think, for a lot of people in terms of the difference between tactics and campaigns, but for us, it's huge. So how do you want to kick us off today? Well, you know, how people perceive uh, campaigns, you're right. They just want to jump right into a campaign, which is basically a, you know, advertising effort to go out to people. And the challenge there, and you can see this as we go in order in our uh, what's wrong with revenue, is that you got to do the other stuff first before you hit campaigns. If you don't have anything interesting to say, if you don't have a great website to expand upon the story, what are you going to be reaching out to new people for where they're just not going to have a great experience? So by having an absolute differentiated messaging package that then cascades down into the tactical things you need to deliver that and support it with content, why bother spending money on paid ads? That's the whole point about making sure you go in the right order. Now, I can tell you literally tens of times uh, prospective and current clients have come to us um, with their campaigns complaining that they're not getting the results that they're looking for. So when you have a, and I'll use paid campaign as a simple example, when you have a paid campaign and someone clicks on it, that's the only the beginning of the journey. All the other stuff has to be set up in advance so that they have this wonderful experience with your company. 
So the campaign is called the click through. It's just one of maybe 20 uh, points that have to be mastered if you really want to get the results that you're looking for. So that's why it's a little bit of slow down to go fast. Slow down, have a great story, differentiate yourself, solve some pains and problems, let that funnel down into the materials that you're ready to tell that story, and then start to alert the people that you want to do business with that you have something interesting to say. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And we do uh, run into a lot of companies who are executing marketing tactics, but not really getting the results. And I think that's where this show will add a lot of value. You know, you can't just roll out tactics today and expect them to work, right? You need a highly orchestrated, personalized cross-channel campaign that really supports marketing sales and the customer service parts of your business. Uh, and these campaigns need to be designed to bring new people into the company's uh, orbit or their ecosystem, right? You can't, you know, sales campaigns are going to be designed to move people through your sales process. Customer campaigns are going to be, going to be designed to encourage uh, current customers to buy more. Um, the the effort to connect with a prospect is so complicated these days that a single channel like a single ad on Instagram, as an example, is probably not going to be able to cut through the clutter and get you the kind of return you're thinking your marketing will be generate should, should be generating. And it's, you know, when we look at it, besides the stuff that Eric mentioned, which are critical, obviously, um, a lot of it has to do with you, you just haven't really designed a highly orchestrated and personal one-to-one -one campaign properly. I mean, we actually have people at the company that specialize in this. It's that it's becoming that much of a um, uh, specific practice in, in, in the industry that we're in. So a couple of things we're going to try to help with today is we're going to talk about how to create these cross-channel orchestrated campaigns. I think that's very important. Um, I want to spend a little time talking about personalization no, that doesn't mean dear Eric, you know, there's a lot more to personalization just th than throwing like a name token into an email. Um, we'll talk about how to pick the right channels because there are a lot of options for channels these days. One of the biggest things that I see, and we've actually helped some, some pretty large clients with this specifically is how do you get your big story, which Eric talked about as part of your strategy down into campaign messaging so that it all connects. That's a, a tricky maneuver too that we can spend a little time talking to, talking about. And then um, how do you measure campaign success? How do you optimize campaigns over time? And then my favorite question, how long do you wait before you decide whether a campaign should be shut down uh, or continued? So we got a lot to cover today. Let's get right into it and start with cross-channel campaign orchestration. So, you know, it's a tricky piece of this because there are so many channels, right? You obviously have social, you have search, you have email, you have um, referral sites or, you know, or, or, or backlinks, uh, places where your prospects are visiting, where you can drive them back to your website. You have, um, organic social, you have, like we talked about, all the paid sources, re remarketing, uh, people who come to your website and bounce off, continuing to market to them while they run around the internet trying to get you, you're trying to get them back to your website. So uh, all of the content that goes along with this, you know, to Eric's point, using the same 
kind of messaging and, and content in the sales process, getting the sales team to engage with prospects to support your campaign, running webinars. There's just so many things that you, you need to consider that the, the campaign design exercise is probably underemphasized and, and maybe one of the most important things that you're going to want to start to think about. And, you know, what you should think about when you're going to design a campaign, again, you already know your big story. You already know your personas. You already know where these people are. Uh, we're assuming you've done the strategy work to kind of get thinking properly about how you want to go about this. And I'm going to also assume you've come up with a campaign message that fits your big story. We'll circle back around to that, talk about it a little bit more. And you have then what I suggest you do in terms of designing this campaign is starting to stack up the channels until you feel like you're going to get enough traction to hit whatever your whatever goals you're you're trying to hit. So, you know, like if you have a big internal list, email to that list might be enough. You know, if you have two hundred thousand names in your contact database, and you know you're trying to generate revenue from those two hundred people who maybe did business with you but certainly know you. You know, an email campaign, well, a, a highly segmented email campaign, and I can dig into that in a little bit in a little bit of detail too, might be enough to get your campaign off the ground and and running and going. It, it, if your list is smaller, then you're going to need to get in front of new people. You're going to need to bring more people to your website to try to build that list up. You may have to add additional tactics to your campaign. Uh, you know, paid social, paid search organic social, organic, uh, organic search. Those are four specific channels right there that you might be like, yeah, we need those to drive more people to the website. And then you just start stacking those channels up until you feel like you have enough reach to get you to some of your goals uh, associated with this particular campaign there. Yeah. I liked your word orchestrated because a lot of people are doing as we make fun, random acts of marketing. And if you sat down and not only orchestrated, but choreographed what you wanted the experience of the prospective buyer to be like, you can probably get some better results, maybe even some efficiencies there because you kind of thought it out in advance. Throwing a lot of stuff against the wall is not that good from a budgeting perspective. You got to spend a lot to get the results that you're looking for. Also, I think when you go all the way back to personas, you have to understand where your personas are. We call them watering holes, right? The places they're going to gather to get information. So if you're dealing with, uh, you know, um, preschool moms, then they're probably not going to be on LinkedIn. So ignore LinkedIn. It doesn't have to be one of the channels that you utilize to connect with that group. And that's where a little bit of that forethought and the planning comes uh, in, in, in a big way. Yeah, and I think the concept of like uh, stacking your campaign is also relevant. Like it's very rare that you will run one message, one set of creative with one offer and 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 be done. You know, that's not really a, well, I mean, it is a campaign to be like a one-off campaign, but I think more than likely, and there's so much, so much data out there now about how many times you have to tell someone the same story before you finally get their attention? I think it's like 12 to 15 touches. Well, yeah. What I was mentioning is like where those places are that you're stacking can be, you know, sorted. So if you're dealing with CIOs and you know that they use the internet, they go to this certain conference and they're on LinkedIn, uh, right? Uh, and maybe they read, you know, uh, CIO magazine. Great. Be in those three places with that message right. so that you're getting them in a variety of ways or in multiple ways if they're in, in present in all those places. Right. And and maybe over a certain time period. So if there are 
if there are, in, in Eric's example, three or four channels where your CIOs are, are getting their information from, and you're going to try to get your story in front of them, you may have to do that three or four times in each of those three or four places, which means you have to plan for those sequences. You can't say the same. I mean, you could, and a lot of advertising does this. <laughs> you can say the same thing to them over and over and over again, hope that it resonates differently the fourth time than it did the first time. Or you could send them uh, like a like a, a building story where first set of messages, you know, covers message A, the second set of outreach covers message B, the third set of outreach covers message C. So when we talk about orchestrated, it's your, your building on the things that you have communicated and, and touched them with in the past in a way that allows you to kind of put this story together over a period of touches or over a period of time. I think today that's more what good orchestrated campaigns look like than in the past where reach and frequency drove the day and it was tell as you know as many people as possible as many times as possible and hopefully when they're ready they'll remember you that's basically the same story over and over and over and over and over and over and over again i think today with the tools available to you and these aren't the traditional tools but more of the digital tools you know you could change your story in a paid social ad every week and it can build on each other and you can drive them to a different page. You can test different offers. You can test different creative, different copy, all with the general same message uh, in mind. And you get a really nuanced set of campaign deliverables that will outperform any kind of static campaign. Let's still talk a little bit about personalization because I think that uh, introduces a really interesting set of options. So like I kind of joked about it earlier, personalization isn't, you know, dear Eric, that's kind of table stakes at this point, but personalization can really be used to get somebody's attention. You can make your campaigns very role specific. So if you are trying to talk to that CIO, deliver some very CIO specific messages. If you're also trying to get to the CFO in the same company, which is something you want to consider, how do we talk to three or four different people at the same company? You're going to need three or four different role-based messages. And those that's where personalization also comes in. You know, the message needs to be tweaked for the CEO differently than it needs to be tweaked for the CFO or the CEO or the CRO, if those are the four people I'm going after at my company. That means the Graphics could be different. That means the copy could be different. That means the offer definitely should be different. The kinds of things you're using to get those different people engaged need to be aligned perfectly to what their issues are. And then if you want to overlay and make this even more complicated or even take a different approach to it, you could make it vertically personalized. So, you know, maybe you're going after manufacturing and professional services. So you're going to need content, copy, and story for the manufacturing folks that are different than the professional services folks, that's going to be another way to elevate your campaign and definitely drive additional performance. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes back to the to the foundational work, right? So, you know, when you talk about yourself, your people, your facility, you're not even accounting for these multiple target markets, each with their own set of pains and problems and how you would solve that. And I think once you make that big switch mentally 
or strategically to make it about them and not about you, a lot of these campaign decisions fall in line because you would never talk to a CIO the same way you talk to a CFO in person. But yet in marketing, we just want to blast out one big message that's to everybody. And that just doesn't work. Also, you want to make it contextual because uh, different people that you're reaching at different times in your campaign are at different stages of the buyer's journey. So if you're like, hi, nice to meet you. Let's have a meeting. That's like going to a cocktail party, meeting someone for the first time, and asking them to marry you. Like it doesn't work. You got to build a relationship. So if it's the initial outreach, lead with some content. Here's some information that might help you. Here's something that we do differently than everybody else that'll make your problems go away. And then when they're ready, now we can have some of the sales content. But that's where, you know, uh, if it's not pre-planned, that's specifically tailored to them and not about you and different from the CFO to the CIO, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. Yeah, it's such a good point, the buyer journey, which we talked about in a previous show. You know, that's a whole nother level of personalization. You could actually consider where are these prospects in their buyer journey? And let me tailor my outreach and my campaign content, my campaign messaging to these people based on where we think they are in the buyer journey. There's lots of ways to do that these days. What pages on your website have they visited? Perhaps leveraging some intent data to see if they're actively searching or not. Uh, have they been in your database for a long time? Might indicate they're a little further along in their buyer journey. Obviously, if they've reached out to sales or they're engaged with sales in some way, they're deeper in their buyer journey than if they're just visiting your website and uh, you know asking for early buyer journey information. The entire campaign can be designed around where they are in the buyer journey. I think, you know, to Eric's point, and this is a good one. I think as you hear us talk about this, it's easy to see how complicated this can get and how quickly. And I think, you know, this is what Eric's alluding to. Most people kind of take the path of least resistance. They're like, okay, we're just going to send this one thing out to everybody. Right. And it is the easier way to go about it. Obviously, you're not doing any or, or you're not doing much personalization. You're not doing much targeting. You're not really segmenting or thinking about you know, who you're talking to. You 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 definitely should expect a, a, the program to perform. Less effectively than if you're going to make the effort to really dig in and design this so that it can execute in a, in a more highly personalized way. The you know, the, the performance stats are obviously you can Google it, like personalized campaigns, segmented campaigns versus non. And there's tons of articles and tons of data on the difference in the performance. And it's it's massive. I mean, it could be like five or six to one um, versus making the extra effort to design these campaigns like we're talking about and personalize all the details to it as opposed to just blasting the same thing to everybody. So it might seem like it's better to get it out there and do it to everybody, but you're going to be probably fairly disappointed in the results, especially these days. And if you're, if you're relying on email to do this, uh, we're just seeing email as a tactic working less and less effectively and probably even worse than how effective it is. We're getting less and less data on it due to, you know, people being able to obfuscate their email address and Apple's ability to let everyone hide their email address when they respond to things. It's just getting harder and harder to use email as as like your main tactic. You're going to have to double down and think a lot more carefully about what other channels you want to open up. Yeah, I mean, look, we have a client and they are a very large electrical contractor and they specialize in 
um, maintenancing and fixing power plants at universities and office parks, right? So if you have a university, they're generating their own power because they have such a big uh, uh, campus. And you have two target markets. You have the CFO and you have the director of facilities. The director of facilities only cares about one thing, no downtime. And the CFO only cares about one thing, how can we drive down the cost of energy for our campus? So understanding that, right? You go to market with a headline when downtime is not an option for those folks and um, uh, reduce your energy costs for the CFO, right? Because that's the two things that they care about. And then you find out that the you know, uh, facility, uh, building facilities people are on the go. They're in the little golf cart going around, fixing everything. Great. We need to give them videos. We need to give them mobile friendly stuff, right? So that would be that choice there. Then if you look at the other side, the CFO sits at their desk all day. They're on LinkedIn. They like charts and spreadsheets and things like that. Great. We're going to get like just that simple conversation could literally, as you said, 5X the results of your campaigns simply because you had that forethought to like, who, do, who am I talking to? What do they want? It's the same product, right? Servicing your thing. But this all becomes a huge content opportunity for like uh, driving home the points for the CFO, right? If you're on our maintenance program, it drives down the cost of emergency visits, which typically are three times more than regular visits. Oh, I like to hear that. How much for a maintenance contract and so forth and so on. And that's just like some basic kind of thinking. But like you said, nobody wants to do the work. They just want to jump in and start paying money on ads. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little bit about uh, selecting the right channel, because I think that's interesting. And let's just use a, a, a multi-channel campaign as an example. And I'm, I'm going to pick an account-based marketing campaign because I think it has like some of the most interesting elements from a channel perspective. So um, just to level set, account-based marketing is generally when you you know who you want to sell to. You, you know the companies and you know the people inside those companies, right? So someone says, oh, I want to I want to sell my product to the 50 largest manufacturers of rubber products you know, in the United States, right? And I want to talk to the CEO, the CFO, and the COO. Okay, great. So you, know, you have 150 people that you want to get in front of. So you know, obviously you could buy a list and send them an email and that would not work. Um, obviously, you could have your sales reps pick up the phone and try to get in front of them one-to-one -one with a phone call. That might work a little bit, but given the world today, remote working, you know, uh, a caller ID and such, I, I, I think I feel like that probably won't work as particularly well either, which is why account-based marketing is such a big thing these days. So you now have to design your account-based marketing campaign, which means you're going to need multiple channels. You're going to need um, the sales reps to be aligned to the campaign. So they need to be armed with the right messages for them to go uh, through LinkedIn specifically, maybe Twitter, but LinkedIn specifically to try to connect with these 150 people that we've identified. They're going to need content for each of the three roles so that they can offer that content as a way to get that connection. They're going to need some interesting message for those three roles to get their attention on LinkedIn. Uh, we are gonna wanna support that LinkedIn outreach by running LinkedIn ads targeted to those 150 people, uh, offering similar content by role. So there's basically some air cover applied through LinkedIn advertising or sponsored content to support the sales reps effort. 
after the sales rep makes a connection on LinkedIn, they're going to need additional uh, email templates so that they can continue the conversation off LinkedIn and via email and additional offers for those people to continue the conversation. Maybe it's a webinar, maybe it's a free assessment, who knows what it is. Maybe it's a, a, a product conversation. Like it could be anything that's relevant to those particular roles. We're also going to want to continue to make sure that they see this company in multiple places. So if those people are in any industry associations, we may be running some ads on their website. Uh, we may be running some remarketing ads on our website. So if we're successful getting those people to a specific page on our website for rubber manufacturers, for CEOs of rubber manufacturing companies, um, and they bounce off, we're going to want to retarget those people uh, to get them back to the website and to get them re-engaged with content. So that's how you design a multi-channel, fairly personalized, in, in that example, three-segment campaign that utilizes a variety of tactics. And you know, maybe there's a conference coming up for those people and you're going to, you've decided to be at the conference. Maybe you're sponsoring at the conference. Now you're layering in that as another channel and another opportunity to communicate to those people, meet us at our booth. Let's have lunch, meet us at our event, you know, whatever it is, you see us at our speaking session. That would be the optimal if you're speaking at the conference and you're promoting that um, to those people but you're touching them multiple times over a period of in, in that what I described, maybe that could be 30 to 45 days, all with interesting opportunities for them to connect with you, all geared around the right story as how your company can help them, all tailored to their specific roles and their specific issues. And that's how you select the right channels. You basically then have to decide, are we doing enough? Uh, have we ha, ha, can our budget support this? And is this effort? After we run a little math, is this effort going to get us the amount of opportunities we need to hit our revenue targets and, and, and drive to whatever business goals we set for the company? That's exactly how the selection of channels exercise should work. Um, and you can see it's very tightly aligned with, with budget and, and business outcomes, which we didn't really talk much about today, but that should be part of this, this campaign execution too. What are our expectations around performance and what money are we investing in it to uh, drive that performance. Yeah. I mean, that last part is pretty powerful, even though you were just like, oh, and by the way, I mean, the uh, joy that I get in seeing business owners not be able to give the return on investment for, let's say, a conference that they go to because they didn't set expectations or just winging it. How many people do we need to talk to? How many leads do we need to get? How many deals do we need to have a positive return on investment for this conference? It's like a big conversation. So if you're going to do a campaign, especially that nice account-based marketing campaign, what's it going to bring us? Why should we even move forward with this if we're not going to hit it out of the ballpark, right? And let's monitor along the way so we can make some tweaks and adjustments as we go to make sure that we're maximizing our return. Those are very important campaign considerations that you should have locked down before you spend a dime on any campaign. Yeah, we had an interesting conversation earlier about, I asked you, what would you pay for a highly qualified sales opportunity for a specific uh, service offering that we're rolling out, right? And we both kind of did the same math and came to a similar uh, answer, right? That also helps you inform how much you're willing to invest in these campaigns. And, you know, I you, you really only answered the second half of that question. I asked you about leads and sales opportunities, but obviously the lead, the cost, the, what you're willing to pay for a lead would be less than what you're willing to pay for a 
highly qualified sales opportunity because the lead may or may not turn into that opportunity. So, you know, how much would you be willing to pay for a good name in your contact database that you feel good nurturing over time that might turn into something one day as opposed to how much would you pay for someone who says, yes, I'm interested in what you're talking about and I want to talk to you about it. Those are two different kinds of leads and two different values associated with it. And probably two different metrics for any of these campaigns. How many marketing qualified leads am I expecting to generate? How many sales opportunities am I expecting to generate? And from there, especially on the sales opportunities, you should already have some pretty good benchmark math for your company. You know, if I generated 50 good sales opportunities based on my current performance from a sales perspective, I would be able to close 10 of those, right? You can then say 10, 10 new customers equals a certain amount of first year revenue. If you're really good at this, you can figure out lifetime value revenue, which will actually give you the right calculation on how much you should spend to get a sales opportunity, because it's really not just the money you get from them for the first year. It's really the money you get from them for the entire time that they're with you. So that's a math that you can do to answer some of these questions around how many channels do we need and how do we want to design these campaigns? And then really go in there with some good ROI and expectations that you can manage too. You're on mute. Even if you're off by 10 or 20%, at least you have a feel for what you're trying to accomplish here. I wish more people would lean into some of that back of napkin math like we did just on that uh, lead uh, conversation. By the way, sorry, I, I missed the lead part. I thought it was for a sales opportunity. For the leads, I better get one-tenth the price. I'm uh, sorry, I'm willing to pay one-tenth, assuming that 10 leads only is going to produce you know one good yeah. sales opportunity. So Yeah, we said, all, yeah, we both thought around $1,000 for sales opportunity. I was actually thinking maybe $200. you are thinking $100 hundred yeah for the marketing qualified lead. So we're in the right ballpark uh for sure. So I mean that also helps you when you're looking at some of the individual tactical performance. Like um you know if you are running a LinkedIn campaign and you're spending three hundred dollars to get a lead, you might be overspending. If you're getting the leads for fifty dollars, then you're actually uh beating your expectation. So you know lean lean into that. If if you're accepting a hundred or two hundred dollars for a lead and you're getting them for 50 and they're actually good, then that's a tactic you want to lean into and do more of because it's paying off. Also, for interesting, those numbers are not static. Those numbers tend to change. So while you might be getting 50 bucks for a lead at the beginning of your campaign, you might find out that a couple of weeks into it, you're now paying 75 or 100. So you have to keep an eye on those numbers on a fairly regular basis and make sure they're not um, going up over the threshold that you've set up for uh, any specific channel. Yeah, good point. All right, so this is a good one for you, Eric. So we talked about it briefly, um, but I find it to be a big challenge for a lot of our clients. You have your big story, right? You did the strategy work, you understand who you're trying to attract, you, you, you really buckled down and you came up with a really good big story. Now you're gonna run your campaigns. How do you suggest uh, people think about transferring that big story down into an individual campaign message. So there's a couple of different ways to skin that cat, right? And the one that I like is the, what we call making a deposit before you take a withdrawal. And what that means is I'd rather give something to someone and, and build up a little bit of a street cred uh, before I start asking them to meet me for a sales meeting. So if you've done your persona work, and we'll go back to the facility manager who doesn't want the college campus to be without energy, 
then you know what they're laying awake at night and thinking about. So rather than saying when downtime is not an option, which is the real big overarching message, give them a little nugget that kind of like nibbles away at that big story. So for example, join us in our upcoming webinar, six hidden ways that might cripple your power plant. It has, uh, of course, the intention is we want to have your campus up and running, but it's so specific and narrow that that um, facilities manager might be, you know, we had some brownouts last year and I got some complaints that, you know, we don't have the highest power in our library system for all these laptops. You know, let me sit in on that because you understand like what their pains and problems are. And then at the end of the webinar, as you conclude, you go, look, if you want more information on how we can help you keep your power plan up, we're on a mission to eliminate all downtime from all university power plants in the universe, right? Now the big story comes out, but I, I kind of like baited them a little bit with a little piece of content that at least starts some interaction. Now, gated, ungated, whatever it might be, but that little piece of content can go a long way as a beachhead into that specific account. And by the way, Mike, how much would it cost if you created the uh, six hidden ways that could cripple your power plant? Nothing, literally exactly. nothing. A little bit of time, doll it up as a PDF, stick it on the website, right? And that's my whole point. Like, you don't have to spend, when we're talking campaigns, the topic of today's show, the campaign doesn't have to be $10,000 a month on paid campaigns. It could be these like little ways that you could start to engage with people that are specific to a topic or specific to a thrust in your messaging. And all of a sudden people are like, wow, you know, I never heard of this company and they seem to be saying the right thing. My people are just average at best. Maybe I'm open to having a conversation with them. And that's where a lot of people mess this up because I can't tell you the hundreds and hundreds of prospective clients that have come to Square Two. And one of the first things there is I'm spending $8,000 a month on my paid and we're not getting results. When we take a look at it, you don't even have to dive into the metrics. What landing page are you sending them to? What content offer? What, what platform are you advertising on? And is that the place where your people go? You know, if I'm advertising to CFOs of universities, which probably is the wrong name, what's it called? Uh, provost? No, um, controller, whatever, right? I don't think they're on TikTok. So let's just eliminate that from the channel that we're going to use. And that's, once again, a way to be efficient, narrow, uh, use your very modest budget to really get big revenue gains. Yeah, that's really good advice. I like how you're uh, kind of talking about like sub stories to the big message to drive the campaign. You know, generally when you go through messaging exercises, you, you often come up with ideas that you like, but don't make it to the to be the big story. And lots of times those ideas can be kind of like your secondary story that support the big story. And, you know, I would encourage you maybe not to throw those out so quickly when you're going through like a big story exercise to really decide how to position your company, because you're going to want a couple of these, you know, like you're going to want to run campaigns, maybe every quarter, maybe every month, maybe twice a year, like you have to figure that out. So you're going to need these secondary stories that align with your big story for fairly regularly. So, uh, you know, when you're doing this big story work, I would think about, hey, that's a good idea, maybe for a campaign, not for the big story. Let's put it in the campaign parking lot here. We can come back around to that, right? Sometimes they're too specific to be your big story. Um, sometimes they're maybe like about a specific element of how you deliver your service, um, and again, that big story is going to be very, very high level in general, and these campaigns can be a little more specific. So, you know, keep those in mind, keep bringing those out. You're going to need them uh, over the course of the year. 
And it's interesting. We don't talk about this a lot, Eric, but you probably ought to consider, you know, I'm curious what you're going to say to this, but, you know, our clients make such an effort to come up with the big story. And when they get it, they're so happy and proud of themselves. But really, that's an exercise that they probably should go through at least once a year to kind Mm -hmm. of evaluate that big story and see if it needs to be tweaked. You know, people want to see your 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 story changing. They want to see your website changing. So it's probably something that needs to be looked at every year or so. You might look at it and be like, yeah, our story's still good and that's fine. Maybe you look at it, you know, in year two, but just the exercise of, of spending some time to evaluate whether it's still resonating with your target market is probably important. Yeah, so it's really a, a, a kind of higher level business conversation. So think about it this way. The mission of your company should never change, right? We founded this company because we're on a mission to do X. But under that mission, you could have annual themes and different thrusts all the time because as long as they cascade down from the overall mission, like, you know, if we're going to, you know, uh, our, our job is to uh, help businesses, uh, you know, double their sales, okay? Well, that's not really the mission. The mission is either we're going to help people, right, by doing marketing services. Or we're going to teach people, right, by training, or we're going to lean into the technology part, right? That's HubSpot. There's a lot of different things that could be under that big thing of helping companies drive revenue. And that's where different thrusts, different messages, whether it be quarterly or annually, can go a long way. Uh, I like what you said about breaking some of those uh, bigger conversations into quarterly campaigns, because you know, people don't listen, people are busy, and you got to hammer it home. So even one of those things that hit the cutting room floor could be a wonderful 90-day pursuit in educating someone on a small subset of what you do or a new service that you're looking to roll out or something like that. Now, once again, that's a strategic conversation. And I don't think enough, you know, uh, uh, entrepreneurial and mid-market companies, the kind of companies that I hope are listening to today's show, that they take the time to do. You know, I end almost every one of my speaking engagements with a plead. Plead? I plead plea. with them. Plead. A plea, a plea, right. right, right. I, plea, I plead with them, carve out the time to have these kinds of conversations with your leadership team. An hour here and an hour there of talking about your big story, your mission, the campaigns that you want to run will go so far in generating some decent revenue. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, let's wrap up on this last piece because this is really kind of important. We've been hitting it kind of casually all show, but measuring campaign success and optimizing campaigns over time, right? So we did kind of talk a little bit about how to come into the campaign with some expect- performance expectations and make sure that uh, the budget is aligned with your expectations. Again, if you think you're going to get a thousand leads and you're going to spend a hundred dollars, like you're, you're not probably going to be successful, but um, you then have to track the performance of that campaign over time. And you have to track it on a fairly regular rhythmic way. Now, some of the campaigns we run for square two, I look at performance on a daily basis just to make sure things are moving in the right direction. I don't really dig into the details of the campaign every day, but I have a dashboard that gives me data every single day. And then I aggregate that data weekly and compare it week to week to make sure that there's up and to the right, or at least we're hitting the goals that we established for the campaigns and things are moving in the right direction. And then, you know, if that is all good, 
we look at the campaigns every single month and say, okay, what do we need to do to make it better? How do we optimize it? And you could do that more frequently. Um, sometimes you can actually over-optimize it too. And if you don't let it run long enough, you're never really going to be sure whether the things, the changes you made are actually contributing to up and to the right or not. So I, you know, I, I don't think, and a lot of clients ask us to do this and I tell them the same thing. I don't think you want to be changing the campaign every single day to try to make it better. There's probably an argument for changing it once a week, but you definitely should be looking at, at doing some optimization at least once a month to make it perform. And then the last question that is asked real frequently is, well, when do you turn off a campaign and start a new campaign? Some of that has to do with the planning that went into it. Is this a 30-day campaign? Is this a quarterly campaign? That has a lot to do with it. But generally, what we're telling clients is to just look at performance. When performance starts to degrade, and it seems like your audience has kind of like been exhausted with your story, then it's time to start thinking about another campaign. Like in our space, we, we generally run a campaign for a month and the frequency in which we run campaigns, I usually feel like everyone who would have applied, would have responded to this, saw it after 30 days. There's no sense in continuing it. Let's get something else out there. Let's talk about something else. Let's see if can't the campaign in March outperforms the campaign in February. So we are trying to constantly beat the performance of the previous campaign, even though it's a different story, a different offer. We're targeting the same people. So that piece of it is consistent and you're probably going to be doing something similar. So I think there's two elements there. How long did you plan it to run and what other campaigns do you have kind of coming behind it? And then once you feel like the performance has started to degrade to the point where you're not going to be able to rescue it, that's also probably a good time to consider it over and, and then start looking at something else. Tricky piece of this is, and, and the, 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 the time it takes to get a good orchestrated campaign up and running, is you have to start working on campaign two while campaign is still running. And this is a little tricky for some companies. You know, everything seems like it should be very linear, but you have to kind of overlap the work so that when that campaign one is done, all the assets for two are up and ready to go and you can just turn it on and you have that constant communication to your prospects about the things that they should have interest in. Uh, that's how you're going to start to get some traction and, mo and momentum too. Every time there's a gap between them hearing from you, you basically have to rebuild that awareness back up again. So just like good advertising on TV, you know, if Doritos stopped advertising for three months, I'm sure their sales would decline because people would just be inundated with ads from other chip manufacturers that would probably drive the, their, their awareness of those products more effectively. So that's why they never stop advertising. And you can never stop marketing. You, you have to have some type of marketing or some type, type of campaign running at all times. Yeah, I just want to tie this to back to the revenue generation system that we're talking about and the weekly uh, revenue team meeting. You know, the, the revenue team meeting is meant to make sure that the issues that come up from campaigns are discussed no more than every seven days. And in the scorecard section of the revenue uh, team meeting, you can have things that are blinking red that you drop down to an issue and you say, hey, this is something we have to talk about. Should we continue with this campaign? Should we change our content or offer our message or whatever? But at least there's that like mechanism built in to look at the metrics, drop it down into an issue and then break it open if you have to. Also remember that uh, built into your um, 
uh, re weekly revenue team meeting are the quarterly rocks. So with the current quarter, one of the rocks should be prepare for the next quarter campaign so that we're already working on that. So there's no gap like you talked about, Mike. So when in doubt, the essence of everything we're talking about could be found in that 90 minute weekly revenue team meeting. Big shout out to EOS once again. Yeah, it's a really good point. Those rhythms really can keep these campaigns tight and also allow you to do the planning you need to execute the campaigns effectively. So for instance, if you are going to do a multi-channel, highly orchestrated campaign like we talked about, just start working on that far enough in advance to get it done, get all the people, all the moving parts up and running uh, at, at the timeline you need it up and running on. Everyone gets to-dos, everyone gets rocks. Everyone's kind of rowing in the same direction to get all that work done. It's going to be much easier than you trying to hustle with a week left before that campaign has to go live, where I'm sure you'll make some mistakes or I'm sure you'll make some sacrifices or, yeah, we don't need that. Let's just turn it on. And it's just not going to be as effective as when you plan it um, uh, efficiently and, and in an organized way through, through um, the RGS system. Very good point. All right, before I wrap up, anything you want to add? Um, I will plead with you as much time as you can spend on strategy. Please carve it out with your leadership team. Yeah, and I'm, I'll just uh, add, I, I highly encourage you to try some of these more complex campaigns. I know it sounds like a lot of work. I know it sounds like maybe something you've never done before, and that can be scary. But the more personalization you include, the more specific the message, better the content and the offer the more leads you're going to generate and the more sales opportunities are going to come from those leads. So I'm going to encourage you to kind of lean into this highly orchestrated, personalized campaign approach in 2023. Uh, you're going to do much better than the general stuff you probably ran last year. Agreed. I really appreciate everyone joining us. Thank you so much. Uh, remember, you can get the show on our YouTube channel. All of What's Wrong With Revenue shows are posted to YouTube every Thursday morning at the Square Two Marketing YouTube channel. Uh, go check it out. Leave us, um, uh, leave us a comment, subscribe, like us. We really appreciate the feedback on YouTube. If you want to check out the show, you can go to square2marketing.com backslash square2plus, our free streaming service. It looks just like Netflix. All of season two is posted there. All of season one, What's Wrong With Revenue is posted there. Plus, we have channels for CMOs, CEOs, CROs. We have a technology channel for everything HubSpot. Go check it out. And you can subscribe to Square 2 Plus. Every time we post something new, we'll send you an email with a note that it's there, just like you get from Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. It's a really cool service. Check it out. And it's free. And if you love the show as much as Eric and I do, go to the bottom of our website, square2marketing.com. There's a link, What's Wrong With Revenue. Click on it. You'll get the last two episodes, but you can subscribe to the show. We'll let you know what new shows are coming up, what we're going to talk about, and we'll email you the show every single Thursday so you have it right in your inbox. I really appreciate everybody joining us. Next week, we're going to talk about technology. It is, I believe, Eric, it's the last of the six pillars uh, after oh, next. No, no, it's the fifth. Don't forget resources, about resources, resources, right? right? Right. So we have two more shows to cover all of the uh, six critical resources to a revenue generation system. Next week, we're going to talk about technology. It's no longer a nice to have. It's a must have. And we'll dig deep on how technology helps you execute your revenue generation system. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.